let's sing. That would be different. So we return to normal. But for this morning, which is not next week, uh, I have to share a few thoughts. It's actually very hard not to sing first and then go into sharing thoughts. But we will share a few thoughts. All right, so um, let's pray. And so, Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be here this morning. We pray that we'll be blessed as we look into your word. That sinners will come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And that believers will be encouraged in their walk with you. I ask that uh, your spirit will minister to us according to our individual needs. And will speak to us as a fellowship as well. And I ask that your son, our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be lifted up in all that we do. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so. Um, last year, I believe, I was uh, focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and towards the end, I was speaking about the cries from the cross, the words from the cross. And um, I started, and then New Year, I had to speak something on New Year just to encourage us. But I want to continue today with cries from the cross. So, the Lord Jesus made seven, uh, seven words or seven sentences or seven cries as recorded in Scripture. And uh, today I want to look at the second one. This is very important to me and it's also hopefully will be very important to you. As we listen to this Christ, it reveals the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ, his last words while he was on the cross. So to lighten things up slightly, uh, you know that I, I like to sing, and uh, I like to sing songs with meaning. The lyrics have meaning. And uh, hopefully they also have nice sounding tunes. This is one of those songs, Rock of Ages, Cleared for Me. Remember the last time we sang it? It's been a long time. Ages. It's old, but it's still good. The person that wrote it said, Not the labors of my hand can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite known? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. And then the second stanza says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross. That's very important. I cling. Naked come to thee for grace, helpless look to thee for grace, fall I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Your turn to interact with me. So, I have a question. I, I hope you can read it. 
So, I don't want to be the only one talking. I want you to talk. So, can you name some things that people boast in or boast about? Money. Okay, so money is one of those. Uh, I remember um, because I have stopped listening to news. It's been a while since I listened to news. So one of these days I was told, Elon Musk is the richest man. The last time I heard it was, uh, what? Bezos, and there was a time it was all Bill Gates. And it sounds like everybody wants to talk about how to be rich. So it's one of those things people boast about. I have lots of money. What other things do people boast about? What? Fame. Yes, very famous. You know, people want to be famous. You know, they want to be such things as best person, uh, Times Magazine person of the year, or things like that. I'm very famous. And sometimes even as parents, we are trying to push our kids to become famous in some ways. That's one of those things that people boast about. What else do they boast about? So money, fame. What's that? Family or heritage and all of those things. I have the best family in the world. World organized. Everything is going well. So people boast about that as well. Oh, yeah, yeah we want to make sure that I show up. <laughs> Some people are watching me online and they can't see me. <laughs> you can see me, but they can't, so I have to make sure they see me. All right. So what other things do people boast about? Power and position. I am the ruler of this place. You will obey me. Whatever I say is what you are going to do. Even, if it, even when it doesn't make sense. But we know that the Lord set up kings. And he brings them down. And he rules over the affairs of men. What else do people boast about? Sometimes we can also boast in our humility in our achievement of whatever form. So, I came to Bible study on a prayer meeting on Thursday. And this verse was read as one of the verses. I hope it applies to you, and I hope this will be your desire, and I hope this will be your prayer. Paul said, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. In some translation, it says, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross. This is my prayer for me. And remember, the man that wrote this thing had a lot of credentials. Very educated, very religious. He had all kinds of things. In Philippians, he tells us those things that meant a lot to him. He said, after I became a Christian, I counted them but dust. So this is a prayer. I'm praying for me, and I'm also praying for you. May I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Because of that, my interest in this world. So when the world talks about the richest man, the most famous actor and famous actress, the best this, best that, I'm praying that I don't delight in those things or desire those things. I'm hoping that while they're you know, enjoying or talking about those things, that my mind is going to the cross and what the Lord Jesus has done for me. All right, so that's my first question to you. Question number two. Name the person. Oh, it showed up there. It didn't show up there. Name what happened. Name the persons that was always saved while Jesus was on the cross. The thief on the cross. Was it called one unlikely convert, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is that it? Oh, there's more. Centurion. Agreed with you wholeheartedly. That the centurion, one of those men, one of those soldiers that was helping to execute the Lord Jesus got saved while Jesus was on the cross. Say, Ime, where did you see that? Three verses. I intentionally went to pick them out so that we can read together. And notice, Matthew, Mark, Luke. All three Gospels mention this man. Now, as for the centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the other things that were happening, they became extremely frightened and said, truly, this was the Son of God. The soldiers, the very soldiers that crucified him, confessed him to be the Son of God while he was on the cross. Now, then... Mark went a little further and then zoomed in and said, and when the centurion was standing right in front of him, saw that he died in this way, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. You don't make those confessions lightly. And then Luke went further and then added, now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, this man was in fact innocent. I submit to you that the gospel writers got this from the centurion himself, that he became a believer just by looking at Jesus on the cross. And all three made effort to make sure they record it independently so that we know. So I like to suggest that at least two, the thief and the centurion. Now I got this idea of putting this man up because David Hansen gave us five unlikely converts. And I thought this one was probably the most unlikely. The man who supervised the putting of the crowns on his head the man who ensured that he was nailed properly and that the cross was put on properly. When he saw him, the way he died, 
I believe he came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, all right, so now we've looked at that. We are back to our passage, second words from the cross. Um, what I've done is that I've put my notes in details on this stuff because uh, there's a tendency that it could be long. So, so, I will, so, so that you can read and I can speak. You can read, I can speak. Sometimes you read, sometimes I speak, and sometimes both. So hopefully we get there. So let's read. Uh, I hope it... Oh. I made it too big that it, uh, that it spilled out. We might not uh, get all the passage, so let's make sure I have it in my part to read. Luke chapter 23. So please just bear with me while I get the reference. Hopefully I don't have this problem today. That would not be nice. Chapter 23 from verse 33. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing his garments among themselves. And the people stood by watching. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also ridiculed him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hung there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other responded and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since we are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. All right. Three headings. An amazing situation at Calvary. An amazing supplication by the criminal. An amazing salvation of the criminal by Jesus Christ. And some lessons. Let's begin with the first one. Have you ever wondered 
why was Jesus crucified between two thieves? It seems like the natural thing that should have happened is that the two thieves were crucified together and Jesus would be on that side, but they decided to put him between two thieves. I'm suspecting that the rulers must have said, I want you to see the kind of man this man is associated with, criminals. So let's put him in. He says he's the king, right? That's the inscription. So these are, he's the king of this kind of people. So let him be at the center. So why was he crucified between two thieves? To fulfill scripture. Thank you. Point number one. Answered. Mark chapter 15, verse 27 to 28 says, they crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and it was numbers with transgressors. That is the scripture that was fulfilled, Isaiah 53, verse 12. And that's why, you know, Jesus could not have orchestrated this. God's hand was in it. He couldn't have caused it to be. You know, the people outside of him decided that this is the place that we crucify him in order that the scripture might be fulfilled. Why? You see, when the Lord Jesus came into the world, he came into the world for sinners. A brother John, while he was praying this morning, went to Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, which reads, But when he had thought this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Why? Because for he will save his people from their sins. So he was born for the transgressors. He lived for the transgressors. When the disciples were trying to find out who is going to be the greatest among all of them, Jesus told them this. He says, whoever desires to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He lived for others. He lived for sinners. And we know that he died with two thieves, and he died for sinners. That would be you and me. His whole life was centered around making sure that sinners have a place in God's kingdom. So to fulfill scriptures. Now let's read the passage again because there's also another reason why he was crucified between two thieves. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing his garments among themselves. Notice, 
And the people stood by watching him. And even the rulers were sneering at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also ridiculed him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now, there was also an inscription above him, this is the king of the Jews. So we are not going to read uh, the other passages on this, but let's stick to this one. I also like to suggest to you that he was crucified between two thieves because of God's providence. I believe that the thief on the cross, his day of salvation was there. That was his opportunity. Now, providence means God foreknew, you know. Whatever was happening to the Lord Jesus Christ was not an accident. It was an appointment, something God had planned and something God executed. So, both criminals that were on the cross, they heard the prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And we've read that Jesus was saying, he was praying this more than once. While they were nailing him to the cross, he was praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. While they were hurling insult at him, he was praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Not only that, both saw the title on Jesus' cross. Now, if you read the, the, you know, the harmony of scripture, you find out that in John chapter 19, verse 19, we are given the full title. And it says, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. And this was written in Latin, in Greek, and also in Hebrew. So, both criminals were on the side. So it's really very possible and probable that they saw the inscription on Jesus' cross. And it's also possible, it should be, that at least they could read one of those languages. So I suggest to you that the criminal on the right probably read the tract. Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. You know, that tract, so to speak, was written by Pilate to quiet his conscience. The high priest said, don't write that. Write, he said he is. And Pilate said, I'm not changing my mind. And um, so maybe that's why they said, okay, since you are giving him that inscription, soldiers, please ensure that the criminals are on the right, and on the right, those that have a different inscription that say you are criminals, so that he can be at the center. So it's very possible that one of the criminals looked around and then read, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. It was meant to be, you know, just something that he said. But God used it to bring one man to salvation. Not only that, both criminals heard the mocking of the Lord Jesus Christ. The high priest mocked him. The rulers mocked him. The soldiers mocked him. The people that passed by mocked him. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Both of them heard it, including the man that was saved. 
And I think, I believe, if, you, if we get to Matthew, we realize that both criminals started off mocking the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't all start on this. They started from the same plane, the criminal on the right and the criminal on the left. Both of them started off mocking the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems to me that the man on the right had a change of earth. Why? Because he probably noticed Jesus' response to the mocking. He was silent. Silent as he stood accused, beaten and mocked. He probably noticed Jesus' response to the crucifixion. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. He also probably noticed that everybody is saying that this man saved others. This to me is an amazing situation. God set up a situation for a criminal on the cross to become a believer. So that's, I call that providence. And I've already said this, but Pilate put the first gospel track on the cross. So don't disregard those tracts, those words, those messages. They're important. The soldiers mocked Jesus. The thieves noticed Jesus' prayer and godly response. Amazing. The working of God's gracious providence. And God still sets up situations for people to get saved. Don't assume that people won't get saved because of certain things. God works these things out. So it's important to keep focus on the word of God and to live a life that reflects the gospel because it has an attraction when it comes to salvation. With that said, this is a challenge to you and to me. It's a poem that somebody wrote a while back. There's a sweet old story translated for men written in the long, long ago. The gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of Christ and his mission below. You and I are writing a gospel, a chapter each day. By deeds that we do, by words that we say. Men read what you write, whether faithless or true. So what is the gospel? according to you and me. Then he goes on to say, men read and admire the gospel of Christ with his love so unfailing and true. But what do they say and what do they think of the gospel according to you and me? Okay? It's a wonder story, that gospel of love, and it's, as it shines in the Christ life divine. And oh, this is True that his truth might be told again in the story of your life on mine. And then he goes on to say, unselfish mirror in every scene, love blossoms on every sort, and back from his vision, the heart comes to tell the wonderful good news of God. You are writing each day a letter to men. Take care that the writing is true. It is the only gospel some men will read, that gospel, according to you. So our life must reflect Christ and the love of Christ. And we must speak the word of God 
because that, those two instruments are important for salvation. All right. I'm back to the passage, and you're wondering why does he keep reading the passage? <laughs> because it's the word of God. We must emphasize the word of God. He says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So, one of the criminals who was hung there was hurling abuse at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the others responded, and rebuking him said, do you not even fear God, since we are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly. For we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Those are wonderful words, and we are going to look at them. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Just pause and think about it. He was being crucified. And the criminal happened to figure out that he's a king. Let's look at the points. Amazing supplication by the thief. The thief admitted a few things. That he feared God. That's the thief on the right side, or one of the other criminals. And that he deserves punishment and is guilty. He also admitted that Jesus Christ was innocent. And not just that, that there was life after death. Remember me when you come. He also noticed the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he realized something else, that his eternal destiny was tied to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, he was a courageous thief. Because at the time Jesus was being crucified, everybody was against him. Everybody was against him. Nobody else was asking Jesus for salvation. The rulers were mocking him. The crowds opposed him. The soldiers opposed him. Everybody was against the Lord Jesus Christ. And even the thief's own friend, I assume they were friends, opposed the Lord Jesus Christ. He defied all of them and stood alone and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Not only that, I don't believe he had much knowledge of the Lord. He had limited knowledge. But the knowledge that he had was sufficient to bring about salvation. He had limited knowledge of the Lord. And he saw Jesus at the point of his greatest weakness. You don't put your confidence in a dying man. A man that looks helpless and hopeless. And yet in spite of this, the thief prayed, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. How did he know that Jesus had a kingdom? The track. 
Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. How did he know that Jesus saves? The crowds were shouting, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. The Lord was using the message as they were screaming and shouting it out. So the thief was a courageous thief. And he spoke to the Lord Jesus Christ and said, remember me. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. I would like to suggest to you that that's an amazing supplication. A great prayer, pray to the greatest person that ever lived and that was dying on the cross. So, how did Jesus respond to the thief's request? I'm back to my passage. I'm sticking to it. There's uh, this... Um, I'm trying to find the right way to say it. Um, there's this habit that sometimes you stick to one thing. Just stick, you know, like, a, you know, like most engineers are this way. They are one track mind, you know. They just track along that path. And that's where I want to stay. The same passage, you know. One of the criminals who was hung there was hurling abuse at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other responded and rebuking him said, do you not even fear God? That's the thief. Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So I've dealt with amazing situation, amazing supplication. Let's deal with amazing salvation. Uh, when I showed up at Northbrook several years ago, uh, because of my background, where I came from, you hear people say, ah, I'm just going to make sure that I don't miss heaven. So that was my mindset. That means I am saved, but I have to make sure that I don't miss heaven. So, th and so when I came to Northbrook and I heard, uh, you know, the preacher say, ah, you are eternally secure. I said, oh, those guys must be heretic. But I didn't leave. I stayed. That's why I'm here. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. I stayed. I stayed. And then kept listening to the word because I'm, I'm a student of the word. I want to understand where this is going. They also said one other thing. So, so after many years of studying the scripture, I came to agree. They also said one other thing that I, I've still not agreed and I'm still studying the scripture, just so you know. And this salvation is what I want to talk about, the amazing salvation of the thief. I'd like to suggest to you that the man was saved wholly by grace, that his salvation was certain and secure, it was personal, it was present, centered in Christ and glorious. That's what I'd like to suggest to you and I want to show you from what the Lord Jesus said. And also, let's pick it up. Amazing salvation, holy by grace. Grace. Uh, 
Romans chapter 11 verse 4. It says that if it is of grace, it cannot be of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. You can't mix. So salvation that has the idea that works saved, it can no longer be of grace. Only of grace. So, this man did not deserve to be saved. And he admitted it. That's what he said. We are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our crimes. You see, the first man that God made, Adam and Eve, were driven out of paradise because they disobeyed. So to speak, they were thieves, so to speak. The last Adam, Jesus Christ, turned to a thief and said, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. And not only that, this is grace. Like uh, my, Brian, my friend Brian Dillman said a while back, mercy. Is God not giving us what we deserve? Grace. Is God giving us what we don't deserve? All of us, because we are sinners, deserve only one place. Only one place. That's hell. But by his grace, through his son, he's given us heaven. That's grace. So this man did not deserve to be saved because he was a sinner. Not only that. It was certain and secure. How do I know? How did this thief know that he was going to go to paradise? Because Jesus told him so. That's all he knew. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. How did this undeserving sinner know he was going to heaven? The only thing he had to hang on to was the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do we know that we are going to heaven? Is the word of God. That's what, where we hang our hearts. Forever, O oh God, your word is settled in heaven. Jesus loves me, this I know. That's what we sing. For the Bible tells me so. Jesus saves me, I know, because the Bible tells me so. That if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. That's how I get my salvation. So it is certain and secure because the Lord Jesus doesn't lie. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, not only that. It was personal. Holy by grace, certain and secure. It was personal. Jesus spoke to this man as a person. Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And so salvation is not a, a group thing. It's individual. And that's why as parents of young children, we must make sure that our kids don't say, oh, 
It was transmitted to me because I was born in a Christian home. They have to take it personally. The Lord Jesus died for us as individuals. And that's why Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I, Paul writing say, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, me, and gave himself for me. Not just us, me. It's a wonderful thing to be loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Like one has put it, said, if I was the only sinner on earth, he would have still died for me. So he loved me and gave himself for me. So God's love is personal. You know, so we have to make sure we claim it on a personal basis. Amazing salvation is also present. Truly I say to you today, today you will be with me in paradise. The man had said something like, Jesus, remember me when you come. I was like, okay, sometimes in the future when you come, make sure you don't forget me. And Jesus' response was very simple. Today, today, you can have salvation today, right now. It's not a process that is drawn out. Okay, I get saved a little. And then I need to add another layer, another layer until that layer. No, it's uh, instantaneous. You don't get a little bit today and more tomorrow. It's a spiritual experience that is instantaneous. Present, today. So if you are not saved, you, today can be your day. Today can be your day. If you recognize that you are a sinner and that you need the Lord Jesus Christ, just like this man, today can be your day. You can come to him and make him your savior. Not just present. The salvation of this man was centered on Christ. Centered on Christ. Remember me, Lord, remember me. Salvation by its nature means being related to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, in his household. Yeah, you see, this man identified with the Lord Jesus Christ in condemnation. Or Jesus, and this man is identified with Christ already in salvation. That's what the cross is about. Condemnation and salvation. And I want you to note, it's not centered on keeping the law. The thief on the cross had no time to keep any law. It's not centered on, you know, going to church. There was no church to be gone to. You only have a few minutes away from execution. And sometimes it's not centered on preachers or baptism or any of those things. It's all centered on Christ. All centered on Christ. A relationship with Christ. The man couldn't turn to his other thief and say, save me. He couldn't turn to the rulers. He couldn't turn to the, the mockers. So he couldn't turn to any of them. He had to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can save. And he said, today remember me. 
So he turned to Jesus because salvation is always centered on Christ. Any other message of salvation in one form or the other that is not centered on Christ is off base. You cannot have eternal life without the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's centered on Christ. Not only that, it was glorious. Very glorious. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The man said something like, remember me when you come in your kingdom? I don't believe he had a clue what the kingdom will be. But Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. That's what he told him. He gave him more than he hoped for and more than he bargained for. And uh, uh, because, you know, when I first uh, said this thing, you know, I had to go back to research. What is paradise? Is the reason I put that, oh, come on. <laughs> is the reason I put that verse there for you. Paul writing speaks about paradise. The same time, the same phrase where he was exposed to the third heaven in some translation. A place where there is no pain, a place where there is no sorrow, a place there where there is no death, a place where there is no suffering. The Lord Jesus was taking the thief with him to paradise. It's a wonderful thing to know that when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your future is secure. And I sometimes wonder, two men receive freedom, uh, probably three, but two, let's speak with two, at least that we'll talk about. Two men receive freedom that, around that day. The first one was Bar Barabbas. The second one was the thief on the cross. Barabbas was set free from being executed. I hoped he turned his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, his freedom would be hollow, not lasting. But this man was crucified while on the cross. But he received freedom. Because if the Son shall make you free, you will be free indeed. So, it's important to note that the Lord Jesus took this man who was a condemned thief, a man that was despised by everybody, and turned him into a saint and took him to paradise with him. It's the same for you and me if we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This verse, or this message, makes it clear to me that salvation is holy by grace. Romans chapter 11, verse 4. If it's by works, then it's not of grace. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Holy by grace, centered on the Lord Jesus Christ, secured and complete. So when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it gives you freedom. Freedom that transcends time. Freedom that transcends boundaries of countries. It's eternal freedom. And so I hope if you haven't done that, that you will do that. The thief 
spoke to the Lord and said, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Now let me suggest something to you. Sometimes we get worked up over words that people say in terms of salvation. I think the Lord is concerned with the heart. I mean, who would have thought that remember me when you come in your kingdom would be the message that says today you will be with me in paradise. The Lord looked at the heart of the thief and knew that he wanted to be with the Lord and he saved him. A few lessons so that I can wrap up. Wow, I didn't even think I would take this long. No one is ever far too gone to be saved. We should not write off anybody. We should not write off anybody. No one is ever gone. This thief was on his dead bed, so to speak. And he was saved. The word of God and a godly life are two of the most powerful tools for evangelism. So wherever we are working, make sure that we live lives that reflect Christ. Not only that, for, all, for salvation, all that God wants and accepts is simple faith. And never doubt your acceptance the moment you commit your life to Christ. Be assured that he loves you and he will keep you. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. I hope that's your portion today. If it's not, don't wait. Sometimes people say, oh, I'm just going to live the way I want, and when I get old and I know I don't, then I can give my life to Christ. After all, the thief on the cross, you know, he's, uh, last, he gave his life to Christ the last moment. Let me suggest to you, he gave his life to Christ the moment he had opportunity. And today's your moment, because you have no clue what happens tomorrow. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you help us to take it to heart, to glorify your son for those of us that are saved, for his willingness to die on the cross for us so that we may have eternal life. I just thank you for the privilege to share these thoughts together. We pray that you bring sinners to you, encourage believers, and help them to know that they are secured in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.